say it tongue-in-cheek, but really what a beautiful presentation of the Gospel. The power of God's Word to speak us into existence. The power of Him to forgive and save. The power and willingness to choose surrender so that we could have life with Him. I'm overwhelmed. We serve a God who chooses to use us and we're so undeserving. had a whole introduction planned and it didn't go this way. But what a blessing. But it fits. It's amazing that God chooses to use us flawed, sinful, broken human beings to do His will. People who are so undeserving. People who have no right or stake to claim that. But Christ gave us that claim. We're going to look at how we can live obediently to that here in just a minute. I'm going to be honest with you, church. Uh, I struggled a lot trying to figure out what exactly I was going to preach. I feel like a lot of times Brother Matt uh, looks up my syllabus online and figures out what week I have a really big paper due and a bunch of other stuff and says, Hey, you know what, Ryan, I need you to preach that Sunday morning. Um, But so... Uh, you know, I thought and thought through it all and was like, well, you know, if I can do this one sermon uh, that I wrote for my biblical exposition class, and so I was working on my, my paper yesterday and then sat down to look at it, and I was looking at it, and Kara had asked me 27 times, you know, are you ready? Are you good? And I was like, yeah, I thought, you know, it's, I'm okay. Well, I'll sit down and start looking over it again last night about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and uh the Lord was like, you're not speaking this. This isn't what you have. This isn't what I have for you today. Um, and he shifted my focus back to a passage that I kind of looked over and glanced at um, when Brother Matt first mentioned me preaching this morning. Um, so I'm going to be up front with you. I don't know if this is going to take 15 minutes or if this is going to take 40 minutes, but either way, it's going to be the Word of God. So if you will, open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at the first six verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul starts out in verse 4. It says, therefore. And you know, 
Brother Matt said it before. I had a professor in college say it a lot. If there's a therefore, you've got to see what it's there for. And if you look back at, at the tail end of chapter 3, um, they're, they're comparing the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. They're comparing Old Testament law, which brought condemnation and death, to New Testament law and the Holy Spirit, which brought life. We heard the word veiled mentioned. Well, veiled's mentioned in that same section of Scripture where they're referencing Moses covering his face because the glory of God was on him and the Israelites couldn't look at it. But in chapter 4, we see veil take almost a negative connotation. And we'll get there in a few minutes. But what Paul challenges us right here is to live out our faith, to let our light shine. Now, we use that terminology all the time, right? We're taught from a very young age, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Timmy asked me to sing in the sermon, so I figured I'd work it in there. We're taught from a very young age to let our light shine, right? But a lot of times we fail to go in depth as to what that looks like. Well, Paul gives us some very clear ways to, dis- or to, to show us what that looks like. So we're going to look at those four ways of what it means to live out our faith today. Number one, we can live out our faith when we understand where it comes from. We can live out our faith when we understand how we're able to have faith. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we were shown mercy, and we do not give up. When we understand that our salvation comes from God because of His mercy, meaning that He gives us something that we don't deserve, we're able... To live for him, that motivates us. We'll press on. We'll move forward no matter what this world throws at us. The word right here uh, in in my translation where where it says we do not give up. Your translation may say lose heart. Okay, To to translate it literally could mean uh, abandoning oneself to cowardly surrender. So Paul right here is saying... Because God gave us this ministry, which we deserve to have no part in, I'm going to go and press on and push through everything. We're going to go forward. See, uh, in this passage in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is responding to false teachers. People who had come into Corinth and tried to defame his name, basically. Say bad things about him, say bad things about his teachings. And so, he's actually kind of coming back and clearing his name uh, through this, validating and verifying what he believes. And so he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we don't deserve it, but he gave it to us. And because he gave it to us, even though we don't deserve it, we should be motivated to live our lives completely and wholeheartedly for the gospel. Have you ever been given a second chance you didn't deserve? Anybody? I'll tell you about a time. This is like very minute uh, in, in depth, but hold on for the ride. Um, so in middle school, I played church league basketball. Okay? I was like 5'4", about 160 pounds. I really did not gain a pound between 8th grade and my senior year in high school. I just got taller, so people thought I lost weight. I didn't. Um, but so anyways, played middle school basketball. Uh, being short and rotund got me a spot in the post. Okay, not because they thought I was going to jump up and block anybody, but because I could use my body weight to push other people around. 
That's exactly what my coach wanted to do. That was my role, okay? As a team, we played together for around three years, okay? When teams play that long together, they develop chemistry, and they begin to understand what each other's role on that team is. Um, my role was not to shoot the basketball. That was not my job. Now, I wanted it to be my job, and sometimes I, could, you know, I took some layups. They were cool with that. But that wasn't my job. My job was to rebound and box out. Well, so we're playing in a tournament one, uh, one week, and we're playing a pretty decent team. And I don't, I, don't, I don't remember anything about this offense that had any reason for me to be where I was. But I'm standing out at the arc. Blue knows the players that, I, that I'm talking about as far as being where they're not supposed to be. Uh, I'm standing out at the arc uh, on the corner, and somebody passes me the ball. My friend Kevin was a three-point shooter. Okay, I wanted to be a three-point shooter, and in that moment, I failed to keep my role. I shot anyways, clanked it off the rim, turned it over. It was a close game. They go down, score points. Okay, so as I'm walking to the bench, because that's what good coaches do when a player doesn't take their doesn't follow their role, they get taken out. Um, I, uh, I get to the bench. Coach reminds me that that is not my role, and I sit there, and he makes it very clear that I'm going to sit there. Um, that was hard for me. I didn't like that, okay? But I understood. I deserved to be sitting right there. Well, when the fourth quarter comes, it's a one-point game. It's crunch time. The coach puts me back in. I don't know why. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't helping offensively. But he put me back in. He gave me a second chance. What ends up happening, um, one-point game, one minute left, I was the last person back on defense, and they had a fast break. Coach Blue, what do you want that player to do? Get to the rim, okay? Do you foul him with 30 seconds left? No? Okay, well, I did. You are supposed to say yes, so. <laughs> Coach Floyd, what do you do right there? Do you want your player to foul and make them earn both points? Under, understanding that they were way, okay, understanding they were way faster than me and I had no chance of getting in front of them. Okay, so I fouled him. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what ends up happening is that was my fifth foul. So I had to come out of the game. But in that moment, what I was trying to do was put my team in a position to still win. I understood that me fouling out right there was going to mean that I couldn't play anymore, but I also understood that it meant my team would get another possession with the ball. Okay. Um, so because I got that second chance, I went out there and did everything that I could to help my team win. I was motivated. I was driven. I was pushed. Okay, that's what Paul's challenging us with here. Don't give up. Okay, when things get hard, remember, you didn't deserve the first chance. We don't deserve grace or mercy the first time. So the fact that we're giving it abundantly should motivate us to go and live wholeheartedly to present the gospel to everyone who needs it. And understanding that it's our second chance and understanding that we don't deserve the gospel should push us to present it to whoever will listen. We can't halfway do it. We can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And we're going to get to that in a minute. We have to go after it with everything that we've got. So how, how do we grow and understanding that and receiving that. We study God's word. 
We spend time with him in prayer. We thank him for the fact that he loved us. Whoops. Not used to this being down here. Palm would they give me a little one that goes over my ear. They, we thank him for the fact that he loved us enough to, to give us the opportunity to participate in his ministry. As we grow in that, as we grow in him, we'll be even more able or even more aware of our need to be out showing the gospel, understanding that it's not us that makes us able to share the gospel anyways. That makes sense. We must press on, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what we see happening. God's mercy should drive us to sharing the gospel with whoever we're here. So we see that, we learn where our faith uh, is rooted and how we're given it undeservingly. That should lead us to, to um, excuse me, that should lead us to renouncing our sin. Look at verse 2, the first part of verse 2. Instead, so instead of giving up, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God. What does the word repent mean? To turn from our sin, to turn away, to turn. Right, So if we're going to renounce our sin, if we're going to turn away from our sin, okay, we're going to be showing other people that we actually mean what we say. Right, We're going to be showing people that we actually love the Lord. Jesus tells us that if we love him, we'll obey his commands. Right, Well, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to follow him. So simply by turning away, we're presenting a picture of faith in Christ. We're able to live out our faith simply by understanding that we're flawed, And we need Jesus to make us right. Let's say, let's say you're in a situation where you're around some friends that are, I don't know, doing crystal meth. Okay? Is crystal meth bad for you? Do you know that crystal meth is bad for you? So what are you going to do about being around crystal meth? You're going to get away from it, right? Church, we know that sin is bad for us, yet so often we run straight towards it full force. We run straight at it. But the gospel calls us to repentance. The gospel calls us to reconciliation with Christ. Jesus came and died so that we didn't have to be enslaved to that pattern over and over and over and over again of running to sin. If we know what's good for us, why do we do it? It's like so often when your parent tells you, maybe not your parent anymore, maybe your your spouse tells you, hey, quit eating sweets at 1030 at night. Quit eating sweets at 1030 at night. Don't drink that cup of coffee at 11 o'clock. You're not going to go to sleep. But you still get up and drink that cup of coffee at 11 o'clock because you want something to drink or you want that Dairy Queen blizzard, you know, whatever your passion, whatever that thing is for you. We run to these things that just we know aren't good for us. Paul right here is calling us to turn away from that. Okay, not necessarily your Dairy Queen blizzard, but to turn away from sin, the thing that separates us from the Lord. We know that that's good for us. May we pursue that wholeheartedly. 
understanding, again, we don't deserve a chance with the Lord. We don't deserve repentance, but we know that repentance gives us life with Him. So we've seen that we can live our faith out when we understand where it comes from. We can live our faith out by renouncing or repenting of our sins. Next, we see that we can live our faith out by being true to God's word. Look again at verse 2, really more the second half of it. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the, or distorting the word of God, but committing ourselves, therefore, uh, but com- commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. So the false teachers uh, that had come in uh, accused Paul of twisting scripture and manipulating it for his own gain when really that's what they were doing. Okay, and so that's what he says uh, when he says not, um, not distorting the word of God. Your, your version or translation might say adulterating, which I think is a very powerful picture of what that actually means to manipulate, okay, to to confuse it or distort it to change it and he he counteracts that not distorting the word of God but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth where do we find God's truth in his word he reveals himself to us through his word so if we're going to live our lives as an open display to God's truth where would be a great place to start looking at how to do that his word, right? We must look into God's word. This display should be rooted in the Lord, rooted in his word. It's his truth, right? But then it should be visible to all. It says an open display. Not this hidden display. Not this display when we're around people who also display it, but not so big on displaying it when we're around people who don't. That's an easy pattern to fall into, right? We like to look like everybody else around us and talk like everybody else around us when a lot of times that talking and looking like other people is not an open display to who God calls us to be. And when we do that, we're then backing up and twisting God's word because we're justifying it to ourselves that says, hey, you know what? You can live however you want to really. Just make sure you put a pretty face on on Sunday morning, okay? Go get them, tiger. When really we should be completely devoted to living out that truth. And that truth, living out that truth in an open display is made possible by who? The Holy Spirit living in us. By seeking after Christ with everything. The more time we spend with him. I tell the youth all the time, you act like your friends. You act like the people you spend time with. You, find, you have things in common with the people that you spend time with. You start to do things the same way that people you spend time with do them. When I was in college, y'all remember JD, I lived with his brother Drew for two years, and we spent a lot of time together to the point that we started laughing the same way. I'm going to say that he started laughing like me, but it's probably the other way around. A couple people laughed, thank you. Um, So if we know that we start to look and act like people that we spend time with, and we should look like Jesus, we should publicly act like a Christian, like a Christ follower, if we're going to claim the name of Jesus, then who should we spend time with? Jesus, how do we spend time with him? We stay in his word, we stay in prayer, we fellowship with believers. We fellowship with believers. Now, I know the question that pops into your head is, well, if we're supposed to fellowship with believers 
Do we just fellowship with believers or do we, do we evangelize the lost too? We're going to get there in just a minute because Paul addresses that very clearly here too. Just to, just to give you an illustration of this a little bit more. Um, have you ever heard the, the phrase, you are what you eat? You are what you eat. Okay. What's that phrase really saying? You are what you eat. If you eat a bunch of donuts, you're probably going to feel pretty janky, right? Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that the people at the gas station behind the house are waiting for me to turn into a double-decker little Debbie cake oatmeal cream pie and a vanilla Coke. Okay. Um, but so... Uh, when we consume those things, we understand that there's a consequence of those things, right? If I consume that every day, I will get fat. That's factual. It's factual. Okay? That was a good one. <laughs> so we understand that, it's, and it's going to be obvious to other people, right? Okay? So we were, we were uh, talking about softball lineups. I'm going to throw Joey under the bus for a little second. Not really like under the bus. He was kind of throwing me under the bus, so it works. Uh, we were talking about how to line up for softball one day, and I was like, well, you know, we could, we could have a three-man outfield. And Joey said, no, we're not fast enough for that. And I was like, well, what's that supposed to mean? He said, it means you're 200 and something pounds. I said, what do you think it means? Okay, it's obvious, okay? When we don't, when we don't feed ourselves well, it's obvious to other people, Right? In the same way, when we don't feed ourselves on the word of God and in prayer and fellowship, discipleship, it's obvious to people outside. It's obvious to people who don't see us. Or it's obvious to people who see us, not don't see us. It's obvious to them that we're not lining up with what we claim to be. We've got to change our name or change our conduct. We've got to live for Christ. It should be abundantly clear. You know, um, one way that this really challenged me uh, in the last week or so, we live like a defeated people to be victorious already. Y'all ever read the end of this book? This one? I mean, it's a little confusing sometimes. I get it. It's scary a little bit. But we already won. Christ already won. Christ finished this war when he died on the cross. He literally told us that it was over. He said it is finished. Then he came back. So why do we why do we get so hung up in the world? Well, obviously the answer to that question is sin and brokenness. And we change our perspective. Those of y'all who were here a couple of Sunday nights ago when I preached out of Psalm 13, we talked about perspective and making our perspective Christ. And how a lot of times if we'll make our perspective Christ, then our problems. They might not necessarily go away, but they don't seem near as relevant, right? We've got to get our minds off the jank and sin of this world and put it on Jesus. If we'll pursue Christ with our whole heart, then we'll be showing everyone Christ simply by how we live our lives. We've got to be in His Word. We've got to look like Him. We've got to know what that means. Now, Paul gets in. To a little bit, and this this next these next couple of verses really kind of punched me in the stomach when I read them the first time, um, because when we fail to live our lives this way, we keep lost people from seeing the gospel. We make it harder for them to understand and see Scripture or see what Christ did for us. Uh, starting in verse three, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. If our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Koi. Koi. 
Who needs CPR the most? Person whose heart's not beaten. Who needs the gospel the most? The person who's dying and going to hell. Okay, I don't mean actively laying on their deathbed dying. I mean anybody who has not given their life to Christ. But if we've veiled this gospel, we're veiling it to the people who need it the most. We can see that we can, we can see, we can live out our faith by telling others about Christ. These last three verses um, really get in to the challenge for today. I'm going to read verse 3 again and then keep going. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, who would that be? Satan. Notice that your G should be lowercase g, and if it's not, we need to get you a new Bible. Um, Thank you. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel is veiled to who? Who is it hidden from? People who are lost. But guess what? There's really good news. Let's keep reading. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. While the God of this age, while Satan can hide the gospel from those who are lost, the power of the gospel can shine through that veil. That veil is not sufficient to hold the gospel back. But yet we still live like we've already been defeated. Guys, we got to wake up. If we actually believe what we say we believe, then we'll be storming every single person that we know who doesn't know Jesus with the gospel. Not just telling them, but showing them through how we live our lives. If, you, if you're laying on the ground you want, without your heart beating, you want somebody to give you CPR, right? If you've got an arm that's dangling off, you want somebody to come stop the bleeding, right? Lost people might not know that they need somebody to come tell them about Jesus and show them Jesus. But the power of the gospel, being active and present in our lives, will show them that they need Jesus. But for that to happen, we have to seek him out. We have to shine that light. God of all eternity already beat the God of this age. The veil isn't enough to keep Christ from penetrating the hearts and minds of the lost, but we have to tell them. We see in Romans 10, how are they going to hear if there's no one to preach? Are you willing to preach? A lot of times there are two camps of people. Um, It's not everybody. Let me clarify that. But a lot of times there's the camp of Oh, will you make sure that you go and tell everyone about Jesus? Yes, absolutely, I want that. I want everyone to go and tell everybody about Jesus. Then you've got this other camp who says, well, you don't really have to tell them as long as you live it out. I think these two need to meet in the middle. I think that everything about our lives should point to Christ. I think that our words should tell people about Jesus every single day, and I think our actions should should validate our words. I think that we should... I think that we should live in the power and knowledge that Christ has already, has already won this battle. 
And now, that we, now we want anybody that can be to be victorious. Y'all ever played dodgeball growing up? Okay, at camp we call it battle ball. I don't know why, like dodgeball's trademark or something. But there's a version of the game that we played where uh, each team would be on each side and the balls would be in the middle. And you'd come up and you'd hit somebody with the ball and that person had to come to your team. Okay, and uh, the object of the game was for your team to have all the other people on the other team come to your side. Okay, that's how you won, was for everybody to be on that side, on, your, on the side that you started on. Does that make sense? Guys, that's how we should want the gospel to be. But a lot of times, practically, we live our lives like we're just okay with whatever happening. So where do we go? How do we change this cycle? We, we seek out Christ. Wholeheartedly. We keep coming back to this over and over and over again because the point remains the same. If we'll seek Christ and seek his kingdom first, if we'll give everything we have to him, then he will use us in a mighty, mighty way that we'll never, ever be able to comprehend or imagine. But it takes being willing to walk. It takes being willing to walk. Look at verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What Paul's going at here is they had said that he was preaching the gospel or preaching the word for his own benefit. And what Paul right here is saying is, no, we don't do this for, for my benefit. Um, I love it. When y'all come up and tell me after I preach, whether it's the next day or the next week, hey, that, that message really spoke to me, or hey, you did really well, that means a lot to me. But know that I never once will ever, ever handle the word of God in hopes of receiving that. And if I ever do, fire me that day. Because it's not about me. I can guarantee Brother Matt would say it's not about him. It's about the gospel, and it's about people coming to see Christ. It's about us growing in Christ as a body of believers and it's about shining that light into the community so that people can see the glory of the Lord. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. At one point in time, and we see this reiterated in Ephesians 2, at one point in time, if you, don't have, or if you didn't have Jesus, but you do now, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and your heart was veiled from the gospel. But because of God's mercy, his light shone through the, the veil. He revealed himself to us so that we could have life with him. I view the church in, in gatherings like this kind of as a charging station. How many of you use your cell phone as a flashlight now? Anybody? Yeah, I do too. Have you ever seen one of those hand crank flashlights? Where you like crank it up a lot and then shine it and it's supposed to last a while, but really it doesn't. My stepdad had one. Um, and when I was little, I thought it was the coolest thing on earth. And he actually enjoyed it too because he figured out that all he had to do was let me crank it and then he could run the battery dead and then he'd hand it back to me and let me crank it again. But that's what we're doing here. Today, church, this is what we should be doing when we gather as a body. We should be edifying and growing each other. We should be charging each other up so that when we go out into the dark world, our light shines. 
Okay, y'all thank Kara for um, her kind of helping me not do a cheesy illustration this morning or a not practical or were the words that she used. Okay, I was going to turn all the lights off in this place. I was going to black out the glass doors at the back and I was going to turn my cell phone light on. Okay, I did this for the youth like six months ago. In darkness, when there is a light, where do you look? You look at the light. Okay, picture yourself driving down 280 at night, coming back from Savannah or, or driving to Glenville. It's 11 o'clock, and I don't know why you're going to Glenville at 11 o'clock, but, you know, you are. It's dark, okay, and Andrew Strickland comes driving back the other way in his truck, okay, with his bright lights on shining in your face, okay. You're taught, oh, look down and to the right, look at the line, but you don't do it, right? At least for a second, you stare right at that light. And it's so blinding and overwhelming that you can't see anything else. That's what our lives, for the sake of Christ, should look like in this community. In the dark. So come and gather as a body. Be charged. Grow. Learn. So that when you go out, We shine so bright that people don't see us. They don't see east side. Just don't get me wrong. We love for people to come. If you know somebody who needs a church home, bring them. But not so they see us, not so they see east side, but so they see Christ and what he's done in an undeserving body, what he's done in an undeserving vessel. As they come to the instruments, maybe today, maybe today you don't have faith. Maybe maybe you have no idea what any of this has meant. It's all gone over your head. Um, or maybe it's hit you right in the stomach and you said, you know what, before I came in here today, I didn't have faith, but I know I need it now. I know I need Jesus now. If that's you today, grab someone, grab whoever brought you and ask them to explain that to you. If you, if you want to come and talk to me about it, I'll be happy and delighted to talk with you about it. Maybe today you've been living with your light on in some places and off in another place. And the Lord's dealing with your heart in that. I challenge you to respond to him today in whatever way that you need to. But what I ask is that before you leave, you leave recharged. You leave wholeheartedly committed to serving Christ. Wholeheartedly committed to seeing the gospel advanced in your community. Stand and respond to the Lord.